welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back again to review the Matildas game against Sweden. Who is this we I speak of? It's me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis and Angela Christian Wilkes. So the June window has ended for the Matildas. It was a nil all draw between the Aussies and the Swedes. Both sides had chances. We had, you know, some fingertip saves, some crossbars rattled, but ultimately the teams could not be split. Once again, there are a couple of milestones, so we'll probably get to those very shortly in our You Love to See It segment. So, Angela, do you want to kick us off? What did you love to see this week or for, from this game? Um, so, yeah, my You Love to See It this week, um, Sweden's captain, Caroline Sager, hit 215 games, which is the most um, games of any uh, European footballer, man or woman. So, massive achievement. Um, yeah, congrats to her. You, you love to see it getting big big numbers that can't even count to 215 I don't think so good good for her you'll love to see it you do love to see it it was very sweet both teams made a little guard of honor for her after the game so very wholesome areas Harrow what did you love to see I love to see Kara Cooney Cross make her starting debut for the Matildas and just look like she belonged. Um, we saw little glimpses when she came off the bench against Denmark, um, got slotted into midfield this time around from the get-go and, to be honest, didn't really miss a beat throughout, um, played a bit deeper in midfield, obviously pushed forward into that more attacking roles at, at times. But to her credit, she just fitted in beautifully and... Um, I think we all thought she'd be able to do it, but to actually see Kyra go and do it was fantastic. So Kyra Cooney-Cross settling in beautifully at Matilda's level. You love to see it. We so love to see it. Sam, what did you love to see? So it's a bit of a hat trick of player milestones for You Love to See It this week. My You Love to See It is the first cap to young goalkeeper Tegan Micah. She had an outstanding game, I thought, against Sweden, considering it was her first ever opportunity at this level. She was the player of the match, according to the Matildas website as well. She was widely praised by people in broadcasting, online, as well as Tony Gustafsson after the game. So she made a couple of really crucial saves. She was incredibly solid, really dependable, really reliable, and I didn't feel like I was going to have a heart attack whenever the ball was vaguely in the box. So Tegan Micah, absolutely killing it in her debut for the Matildas. You love to see it. We do love to see it. And to round out the milestones, Hayley Razo played her 50th game. That's 50 caps for the Matildas, which is an awesome achievement. We know she's been around the traps for ages, done so much, is just an absolute stalwart of this team and plays sensationally. So really awesome for her to reach that milestone as well. We've had a lot over this June window, so it's really awesome to see that she has also hit a significant number of games. So congrats to Hayley and you love to see it. But um. Let's get into chat about the game. And I think the good place to start is with Tegan Micah and her debut and goalkeeper chat. So we're going to kick it off with Harrow. You, before these games, we asked the question, do you think Tegan Micah is going to make her debut? Everyone said yes, except you. So now is your time to, you can do whatever you want. You can explain yourself. You can elaborate on how you've changed your mind or if you've changed your mind. But You can, you can apologise, Harrow. You can apologise <laughs> to all us Micah stands now. Come on. I'll, I'll never apologise for believing that our number one goalkeeper, Lydia Williams, was going to play a game. But I am happy to be wrong about 
uh, Tegan Micah uh, getting her first cap. I'm, I'm thrilled she did. Um, I'm not sure what the situation is with Lydia Williams in terms of her fitness, um, the fact that we didn't see her or if they totally just want to test out both goalkeepers. But um, obviously after Mackenzie Arnold had a shocker, um, I don't think you can put it really any other way against Denmark. It was so pleasing to see the way Tegan Micah stepped in. She's been in the fold, in and around the fold for so long without making her debut, like, has done the third keeper bit, you know, like good presence around the group, good uh, personality at training, great character from all reports. Um, obviously was playing a trade in college for four years before playing in Norway and obviously the W League. Fantastic. I agree with everything you said about her performance, Sam. Like she just looked assured to me. She never looked panicked. There was actually there's a couple of little touches earlier where you're like, Tegan settled. But then she still looked confident when she was doing it, which was um, really exciting, very confident, never looked like the ball was going to beat her, was confident coming off her line, Was uh, made a couple of cracking saves, um, including that one where she had to just reach up and do it. I can't remember who she actually saved it from, but it was looked goal-bound and she just managed to get the little touch over the bar. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, she looked very, very settled. And for a player in her first cap, was very commanding. I, f- I feel like everything looked, and that's, we weren't playing like our conventional defence either, it's worth remembering. Like it was a very defensive setup, obviously with Steph Catling and um, especially Ellie Carpenter playing as, as centre-backs. It was quite conservative in that sense, which probably gave a, a little bit more cover in that sense. But she just looked like she'd had so many caps before and it just makes you think this is clearly not the last she's going to have Based on that form, I think the general consensus was she's well and truly put her hand up to be one of the two goalkeepers going to Tokyo, um, which is huge considering a few short months ago we were talking about Mackenzie Arnold trying to make a case to overtake Lydia Williams given her form at West Ham. So Tegan Micro, I think, has well and truly thrust herself into contention here and it's it's great to see. Um, it is just another you love to see it, isn't it? And um I feel like that was the general consensus. She's got a clean sheet on debut. Uh, Matilda's defence was super settled in that sense. And, uh, yeah, ringing endorsement for her so far. So, like I said, happy to be wrong. I also really loved the fact that as soon as the whistle blew, all of her teammates rushed to her and hugged her. I thought it was really fitting that Micah was the the player to have the last touch of the game as well. It was that floating ball that was deflected quite wildly off the head of, I think, Laura Brock. And it was sort of spinning at an odd angle. And we were, I was just like, oh no, oh no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But Tegan Micah, solid, dependable. She did the, she did the thing. She caught the ball in a very regulatory normal safe kind of way which is something that I feel like we hadn't become very much used to when it came to Mackenzie Arnold so yeah I'm just I'm really proud of the fact that she took her opportunity with both hands you know Um, I feel like this was this was pretty much the only opportunity that she could do that I'm not sure what's going to happen in the next international window before Tokyo happens but it, it seems that this might be the last time that these players are together in this kind of way and coming up against opponents like this. So the fact that she was able to be so commanding and to be so self-assured and that sort of self-assurance really radiated, I think, out 
towards the rest of her defenders as well. And once they started to really understand what she was capable of and that they could trust her, particularly with back passes, particularly with her playing as a sweeper keeper, which she made a couple of really important clearances and interceptions there when Sweden got in behind us. I think that that's a fabulous foundation to, to build on, you know. Um, and speaking to your point, Harrow, as well about Williams, like there are a couple of, I think, question marks around her now considering her... Uh, her sort of spotty um, game time with Arsenal. She only played nine games over the course of the season. She had that injury that really marred her, her start there. Uh, and she's only played the one game over the course of these four friendlies now. So, you know, we haven't really had a situation for a number of years where there have actually genuinely been three goalkeepers in contention for a starting spot in the Matildas. And I think that Tegan Michael's performance this morning absolutely put her up there. If, or if not the second choice, then maybe even first choice. Surely you look forward and you go, Tegan Michael's got to be putting her hand up. You don't want to overreact to this, but with a showing like that, if she can continue on that trajectory and keep on improving, surely Tegan Michael's wanting to put her hand up to be the number one goalkeeper coming up to these next few major tournaments. Um, like, you know... Mackenzie Arnold broke through relatively young. Lydia Williams has been on the scene for a long time. Like, Michael was so assured and she just looked so comfortable. Um, it was super encouraging, like, <laughs> to have that sort of poise on your debut. And I think it's probably a testament to her pathway to here. She's played so much football, especially going through the college system um, and then obviously playing W League, playing in Norway. She's got so many games under her belt and she'd have dealt with some pretty lethal strikers at that US college level as well, playing for UCLA. So just super encouraging. And I love what you said there, Sam, about um, all the players getting around her on full time. Um, she really, uh, one thing I did like, she's really nailed the art of like making the save and just bang, onto the deck, <laughs> which I always enjoy seeing keepers do, just let's the pressure relieve and then figure out what she's going to do next. Um, so no, super exciting. And uh, I think was the clear number one positive for most people coming out of this game, especially the clean sheet. How good. I'm going to put you all on the spot because as the host, I get to do these things. So imagine you are Tony, you have a decision to make at the end of this month. You can only take two goalkeepers and you have three. So each of you, who are the two that you are taking to Tokyo? When you said imagine you're, you are Tony, I immediately was like, I'll have to part my fringe down the middle. <laughs> get in, play the role. If you anyway, need to get into character, go for it, but you do need to offer up an answer, please. Of course, I'm taking Liz and Micah. As Tony. Yeah, I'm taking Liddy Williams and Tegan Micah. I think Mackenzie Arnold, over the course of these opportunities that she's been given at, at this level has just showed that she's prone to too many mistakes and these are the kinds of tournaments where you can't make those kinds of errors against these kinds of teams and so yeah I'm, I've lost a little bit of faith in her I think so Micra and Williams for me. I also think um, Lydia Williams as number one keeper and Tegan Michael looks to have overtaken Mackenzie Allen as number two in saying that, I think it, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe took a third keeper as an alternate um, and they take three to Tokyo. I think Casey Dumont went as an alternate to Rio. Um, so that could happen. I think it's also will be a brave um, call as well for Tony to make, given Mackenzie Arnold has been a big part of this Matildas group for a long time, is very close with the likes of uh, Caitlin Ford, Alana Kennedy, Sam Kerr, Emily Van Egmont, like, 
it's it's a big call when you've got um you know some big names big personalities in the group um that are very close have played together for a long time but on form Tegan Micah will have earned it and I think that's that's the key um if you're going to make a call like this exposed form is the key and you can't argue with what Tegan Micah did against Sweden um compared to I guess Mackenzie Arnold's last two outings in that um, in that goalkeeper role, so in that number one keeper role. So, yeah, I think Williams and Micah, but I don't envy uh, Tony and Mel having to make these decisions. I think there'll be quite a lot of line ball ones to come. You're absolutely right. I think they should uh, definitely keep those decisions to themselves. Don't like making uh, decisions over here. But let's move up the pitch a little bit. So we had Kieran and Lily in our mentions on Twitter kind of talking about the back three or as Kieran put it three and a half maybe he says that it won him over that kind of formation and style of play Lily asked though is that the best way to utilize Catley and Carpenter so what are our thoughts on the back three the back three and a half or just that formation as something that the Matildas kind of can use going forward Sam yeah, it's a good question. I, I sort of addressed this in my uh, my reaction piece for The Guardian as well. I like the idea of a back three converted to a back five. I think we have the, the kinds of wide, speedy engine players that can really flourish in those roles. But I don't think the player choices that Tony made are the best way of utilising that formation. Uh, Catley and Carpenter are our two best wing backs. They are also some of our best attacking players as well. Ellie Carpenter had the most chances created across any player in the Denmark game, and she was coming at that from a right back role. Steph Catley created some of the only chances that Sam Kerr was able to get in front of goal and have a go. So I think by sort of reining in those two players in, into that back three formation, I think we lost some attacking momentum. And we saw what happened in that game, in the game against, against Sweden when, you know, when, when that happened. So I, I think that this is the big sort of question Tony needs to be asking now is what, you know, if, if he wants to continue with a back three and then a sort of a back five in you know, defensive uh, phases, who are the specific kinds of players he wants in specific kinds of positions and how can you balance defensive um, integrity while still not compromising our attack, uh, probably our best, some of our best attacking weapons. Because we saw that once Catley and Carpenter were reined in and we didn't really have that wide forward momentum, our actual forwards, you know, you know Sam Kerr, Kai Simon, um, you know, Mary Fowler, she came on, Emily Gilnick, they were really isolated. They had to do quite a lot of stuff on their own. And it sort of felt like the Matildas weren't really themselves by not having that overlapping, really energetic, dynamic, wide sort of attacking style coming from overlapping wingbacks. But I'm curious to hear all your thoughts about it. I'm in a very similar vein to you on this one, Sam. I think there is a, I wouldn't be surprised if there was an element of not wanting to show, Tony would not want to show all his cards against the team we're playing in a month, I think everyone knows what Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter are capable of, but maybe not deploying what's going to be the best 11. So one thing, I think we, in terms of how things were structured up yesterday, 
Uh, I felt like it was similar to that block of play we saw after conceding those three goals against Denmark and just getting those players tucked in to really limit the damage going the other way, have that athleticism and pace and get caught out. And I think the Matildas really, really needed to not cop goals, like especially not a heap of goals. Getting a clean... I felt like, and I was saying this in an ESPN thing earlier actually, that it felt like we almost traded a clean sheet for a chance at a win. Um, we didn't go for the game, but we certainly didn't cop it. And I think it would have instilled a lot of belief in this team to put in a defensive showing like that and have it pay off because you don't want to play that sort of style and then cop a late goal, like a sucker punch sort of goal. They actually managed to hold on for the clean sheet. Going forward, yeah, I think there's potential for um, three at the back and certainly use wanting to have a more athletic sort of centre-back approach. I thought Claire Polkingholm was excellent throughout that game, just a real rock, but it's no surprise to any of us. I hope we don't see Ellie Carpenter in particular play in that role too often going forward because you saw as soon as Alana Kennedy came on the field, I think the first thing Carpenter did when she pushed wide, or maybe it was when Laura Brock came on, the first thing that happened when Ellie Carpenter got pushed into <laughs> a more relaxed um not more relaxed, more um, free role, like effectively a fullback role. She went on this massive run, <laughs> just absolutely took off, and Sweden had no answers for her. So uh, I don't think in the long term that's something we're going to see because she even, like, more so than Steph Catley, I think is wasted playing as a centre-back, like gunning it up and down that that wing and whether it's as a wing-back or a full-back in a back four. Um, and we've talked about this before, whether we'll see a back four that, converts into a back five like with an Ivy Lewis dropping in or whether we will see like what we saw right at the end there um Polks Kennedy and Laura Brock as a back three with wing backs very similar to how we saw Melbourne City structure up with Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter as wing backs I think that's where we're going to see Ellie Carpenter use it her best um I can understand why she why I guess there was that more conservative role with having Catley and Carpenter play more centrally, but I hope it isn't something to see long-term. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Steph Catley used at centre-back here and there, just because she's athletic, she's a left footer, she's got that height. But I would prefer to see her, you know, released to do what she does best on the left. And the same with Ellie Carpenter. But yeah, in in short, Sam, agree with you. (laughs) But I, I don't mind the bit of experimentation, especially when it, it got that sort of level footing result. Yeah, I, you guys have covered it pretty comprehensively. I think something that the back three formation was good for for, for me um, with like Emily Van Egmond in the midfield as a six, I think she's less inclined to take on that role that Lewick had in dropping back and and sitting more defensively so I think it does play to her strengths and as well as um, Brasso a lot of people noted that she had a really good game and played really well and played strong defensively but still had that freedom to run and I much preferred her in that sort of wing role as the the four or the five, I'm not sure, Um, rather than having her as a back forward like that but yeah um I think it's positive signs in that we can put the likes of Ellie Carpenter and Steph Catley into this formation and get the job done. But, and I suppose moving into the Olympics and making all these tough decisions, something that's been brought up is versatility and making sure that you've got, you know, you can get back for your buck with the 18 players that you bring along. So 
yeah, positive, but I do agree that, yeah, if if we do want to play to win, you don't want Ellie Carpenter back there. No, no, no. But, yeah, um, I, I quite liked it. I think I, I felt a lot calmer and a bit more comfortable with that formation and sort of um, it warmed on me over the, the course of the game. And I think as, as well some of our attacking play that didn't go as planned was perhaps more to do with rustiness from particular players or having, you know, the younger, less experienced players in the thick of it. And that all comes with its own um, pros and cons as well as, you know, people get minutes up their sleeve. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind it um, is my conclusion. I think it's also worth keeping the context in mind of clearly Steph Catley and Alana Kennedy were two of those players that Tony has mentioned, even if he didn't mention them by name, that were on limited minutes. Alana Kennedy not coming on till I think half time, and Catley in the first game playing 45, playing a bit more in the second game. Like clearly it's about building their loads and minutes and you can't plan to have 90 minutes worth of Alana Kennedy at centre-back and Steph Catley at left. And they probably were able to get more minutes into Catley as well, playing her at centre-back. So as well as testing that out, you get a bit more game time into her where she's not doing those big gut-busting runs. Because I imagine it'd be very hard to tell players like Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter not to do those things if, when they as when they play at full-back because that's their natural instincts. Um, the other thing was we got a little bit of a look at Hayley Razzo at right wing-back and I thought she was much better in that role than we saw her play right full-back um, in that uh, Germany game. Um, very industrious, uh, probably didn't have the end product that she probably would have liked, but was very busy, shows she could do something a little bit different. Um, we know that the type of player she is, she causes chaos, she runs hard, she made some good interceptions. And you look at her and you go, oh, well, potentially there's another uh, another stopgap. Um, if, if Chloe Legazzo comes back into the fold, we've seen her play as that sort of winger or wing back before, like a little bit. Um, so you want, as Sam mentioned before, if you can utilise some of those players who've got big engines um, by giving yourself a bit more flexibility or those players that can, you know, be direct on the ball and take on players, then um, that's that's something else. And uh, Sam, I imagine you're just going to touch on Hayley Razzo here because um, she had a very busy game. She did, a really busy game. And I think one of her best games for the Matildas for a while uh, maybe even going all the back, all the way back to the qualifiers. I was so so impressed with her, and so was Tony Gustafsson. Like I, I asked him after the game about Rasso, particularly playing in multiple roles and how well she adapted to that. So she started at right wing back. She eventually moved up to a right winger where she felt a little bit more comfortable, and eventually moved into a number nine role as well when things were getting a little bit hectic towards the end there. But she was still able to do all those kinds of roles quite smoothly and make those transitions quite well. And the thing that I really loved from his comments about her was that he said that she really embodied the identity and the spirit of the Matildas. And we saw that when in sort of like the 87th minute or something, Rasso was playing as a number nine. She realised that she'd lost the ball and she sprinted back into midfield, deep midfield, in order to make a really important tackle and to get back on her feet and charge forward again. Like that, that to me, I think, is one of those kinds of moments that other players can look to and say, okay, this is what's needed. This is the standard. This is what it means to play for the Matildas. I think Ellie Carpenter has that in bucket loads as well. And I think Sam Kerr has that. 
Um, so I like when we talk about players playing their way into contention, I think this was the game where Hayley Rasso cemented her spot on that plane for Tokyo. I was really impressed. Can we just touch on a moment that was just in one sense amusing, in another sense surprising, and in another sense just not good at all for our delirious states at uh, four in the morning. The brief little stint that Ellie Carpenter spent as a nine uh, <laughs> like nearly broke my brain. Like, <laughs> I think we're about an hour in or maybe more and clearly there was some shuffling going on and all of a sudden Ellie Carpenter's up top and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like It was like Ellie Carpenter at centre-back, tired. Ellie Carpenter at nine. Wired. <laughs> because like... It was like a fever dream, wasn't it? It was weird. Oh, we were all delirious enough at that point. And then all of a sudden you're like, who's who's a striker? We wanted her to play more attacking, but all of a sudden she's uh, she's in the nine. And yeah, it was only a brief foray, but just for those few minutes, it was, yeah, as you say, Sam, a bit of a fever dream. Um, yeah, just we're all very tired. <laughs> It's a bit um, like community level football, just like chucking everyone up front. Don't go on, have a go, have a few minutes, see what you can do. But yeah, the for us, yeah, it's a bit confusing. Imagine if she'd scored. Imagine if she had actually done something in that nine roll in like the five minutes that she was there. Oh my god, what a spanner in the works that would be. Do you imagine our collective brain at the far post? The group chat would have melted. Did I see that? Did did that happen or am I hallucinating? The brain fart post. No, no, no. I mean, I would have believed anything at, you know, quarter to five in the morning. Like, it's one of the joys of being an Australian football fan, watching games that are that time. Um, But, no, let's continue our move up the pitch Uh, Lily asked us about the midfielders. So she said, we've seen some really strong performances in attack and defence, but who were the midfield winners from these windows and who's really kind of standing out? Because it has been an area that's been a little bit undermanned. In terms of midfielders, I know she only came on late in this game. I think Ivy Lewick has just about got a ticket punched to Tokyo. Like. Um, she's such a calming presence when she came on. It's very soothing and relaxing when she came on the last few minutes. But also she was such a workhorse in those two games where we got smashed, um, deputised a bit at um, centre-back when uh, against Denmark. And then we know what a controlling presence she can be in defensive midfield. It's a real credit to her at her age and after the football journey she's been on. Um, I imagine one, she might have thought that the minute she got at the World Cup might have been the big moment for her, apart from being involved in that Asian Cup back in 2010. Shows how long she's been around for. Um, but I just think, especially with Elise Callum Knight, looking very, 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 very unlikely to feature at Tokyo, you can't not have a calming presence and such an industrious presence like that in midfield. I think she's made her case. I don't think anyone has been more solid in that holding midfield role. And the fact that she's willing to go back and do a job in defence where, requ- where required ticks the versatility box. Um, I, I think the next step is seeing how we maximise that to get the best out of our other more creative midfielders. I would have liked to have seen Tamiki Allett play in midfield more. Um, she sort of played as a wing back in this game, um, where I don't think her 
her future lies. Um, I think we know she's a midfielder. Um, and I would like to see uh, Emily Van Ebon pushed further up the pitch because we know what she can do there. But I think Ivy Lewick has been a, a big winner from midfield, as along with Kara Cooney-Cross, who, as I said in the Love to See, it's just looked like she belonged as an attacking midfielder, um, provided a spark in that first game and the funniest challenge ever. And um, just looks so settled in this game. And for me, has taken a big step towards getting a spot on that flight as well because she looks like maybe the next big thing. Yeah, my two. I was just getting emotional at earlier thinking two months ago we were at the grand final that she was there. Did we get a photo with her? And she was she just got the and it's like now she's in Sweden and that's just I think that's real cute. So love that for her and I agree with that. I really hope that she ends up going to Tokyo. Between her and Tegan Micah and Mary Fowler and um, Courtney Nevin as well, I think it's just given a real breath of fresh air and something really exciting. Um, young players, players making their debuts, players scoring their first goals. I mentioned it in our last pod. It, I think it's the sort of thing that um, not only lifts fans, it lifts the players because um, I think you can always benefit from seeing someone new come in and make an impact, create more competition for spots and provide something different, something unpredictable. And uh, that's what Kara Cooney Cross has brought, I think. Something, something a little bit different, um, but at the same time, shown she's up to the level and has been willing to do the hard work, um, which is a huge tick for her in terms of her progress and growth over these last couple of years. Uh, so I really hope we see her named in that squad of 18. And what a lift that will be after two years ago, she was a standby player for that squad of 23 for the Women's World Cup. Um, and has really just broken through over the last couple of years and really kicked on. It's, it's super exciting. Um, and, yeah, like I said, hopefully we see both her and, as I mentioned before, Ivy Lewick, two players at very much opposite ends of their career, um, rewarded with a spot on that plane. Yeah, you're totally right, Harry. I think all of your... And uh, sort of all of your observations about all the players, I think I'm I'm in, in complete agreement with. Um, I guess that like the midfield. Look at us, none, Sam. I know What's... this never happens. Oh, look at us. We're like uh, Paul Rudd and what's his name on Hot One, Hot Ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think that the midfield the midfield question I think is the most um, complicated one to answer because it, it like the KK situation means that Ivy Lewick is the only natural number six that we have who is up to this kind of standard. So we know that Lewick is going to go to Tokyo based on that. But it also means that because Lewick is the only natural number six that we have, she can't be heavily overloaded in that role. And that tells me that Emily Van Egmond is likely to go as well because she has experience dropping into that deeper role, which she did against Sweden. And she did, I think, against Denmark as well. Um, I don't like Emily Van Egmond in defensive midfield. I don't think anyone does. And I don't think she, I don't think she does, to be fair. I think that she she wants to be further up the field like she was in the qualifiers, uh, particularly against China, where she scored that cracking goal. That is what she's capable of in those moments. And we saw how sort of lackluster the Matildas looked um, in at the Women's World Cup when there was a similar situation where Van Egmond had to drop into that defensive midfield role in order to cover for the sort of domino effect of injuries that took out some of the other players. So my, I guess my, my thought, my brain thought, my galaxy thought coming out of that is who then takes the number 10 role if Van Egmond has to sort of adapt to something a little bit deeper lying to be an eight or a six. Kyra Cooney-Cross seems to be the most appropriate 
fill in there because she absolutely flourished over the course of two seasons as an attacking midfielder. We know that she has a cannon of a foot. She can score from range. She takes lots of set pieces. And she would probably really relish actually having the opportunity to move a bit further forward because against Sweden, she was really sort of played as a box-to-box midfielder. She had to do so much running. And I think she would probably be able to maximise her own skills and her own sort of technical abilities if perhaps she wasn't required to do quite as much horsework. Um, I, I don't think Chloe Lagazzo is going to be going, um, even though she is that workhorse in the middle. She is a really, really hard runner. She just hasn't, she hasn't, just hasn't played in, in a while. Like she had that huge delay moving from England over back to the NWSL. She hasn't appeared in any of the friendlies with the Matildas under Tony. Her window of opportunity is growing increasingly slimmer. So I think if we were to, to start talking about midfield choices who are most likely to be on that plane, I would say it would be Lewick, um, Van Egmond, Kyra, and probably Tamika Yallop because I think that she still has so much more to offer than what she's showed over the course of these friendlies. And that's perhaps just a result of the fact that she came in a little bit late, came in a little bit undercooked. But I would take a Yallop over a Kaya Simon, for example. I haven't been particularly impressed with her. I'm going to play devil's advocate on the Chloe Lagarde, I think, Sam. I, I've maintained this. I still think there's a huge chance um, she goes. Um, I think Tamiki Alec will go for the reasons you mentioned. Workhorse, can score goals, genuine box-to-box. And if you talk about freeing up players like Emily Van Egmond and Kyra Cooney-Cross, having someone like Meeks, especially if you do play her with Ivy Luke, where she can do a bit more of her own attacking work as well, I think she's invaluable. She's one of the best gut runners going. Um, I don't think you get a true indication of her, what she can bring based on playing a bit of wing back against Sweden. I think that was just, let's see what we can do here. Um, I think she can be played pretty much anywhere in midfield and has big tournament experience. Three World Cups, has won an Asian Cup, has been to the Olympics. Like you, Players like that are so valuable. She's a leader, tough. I think she'll go. The reason I think Chloe Lagazzo might still be a chance is that versatility. And that engine, I, I've, I wouldn't normally say that players that haven't played would be a chance, but I think she is one of those that could be an exception. If they get into this transition camp, I imagine she'd be called into that if she's fit, if she proves her fitness. It's all depending on if she can prove her fitness before then, because I think if she can come into camp and impress, she'll be a chance. Just It's one of those ones where it's a runs on the board thing from past things. Can play on the wing can play through the midfield, has an incredible engine, has that versatility, which Tony likes, um, can score goals, has scored goals in big games. So that's why I'm not ruling her out yet. Um, because if there's anyone who can just work their way into contention, it's Chloe Legazzo. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but I'm, I'm certainly not striking a line through yet, especially given the sort of the daft of midfield options you kind of mentioned, Sam, I, I just think if you've got a small squad, you need players who can play a couple of different roles. She's not counted out until she's can- like until she's canned out. I'm certainly not ruling her out now. And uh, there's not too many players I'd say that for, but yeah, there's as far as players go that I just think could make that last ditch run and get in. That's Chloe Lagarde is the one I'm not ruling out. We were doing so well, Harrow. We were agreeing on everything. And now you just have to come absolutely left of field with an opinion like that. Damn. I guess we gotta keep we gotta keep the pod balanced, right? I respect oh, that. Exactly. We gotta have um we've got to disagree on some things. 
And uh, yeah, Chloe Lagaza is great. So <laughs> I hope she does get some form in NWSL level and make her way. Because otherwise, I think it'd be a real shame. And it would be a, a just sum up how poorly that whole situation from going to Bristol to having to make a move to the delayed protracted process of getting to the NWSL to then picking up an injury. It's just, it would just be, uh, yeah, the opposite of the icing on the cake in terms of a year. Just, yeah, as I said, I've said it, what I think. Just to pick on you a little bit more, Sam, I think Kaya Simon's probably going to the the Olympics. What? Um, Why? I just think, like, I, I get why people were grumpy with her for the, her performance against Sweden. There was some, I guess, moments where she didn't seem to be playing with much attacking vision, um, sort of stuck with the safe option, that sort of thing, which did, again, I guess that goes back to the whole we defended well but we weren't creating a whole bunch in that game. But... I, I think she also had quite a few chances and she's sort of showing glimpses. Like I think so that season where she played with Emily Van Egmond, they were both on fire and they were both so good. And I just think if she's sort of moving towards that and can get closer and closer to that, she's in strong contention. And also she's played a lot of minutes. I don't know if that if that's just to in Tony's eyes blood her and see what she can do with the significant amount of minutes that she's given. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think she's ruled out. I think she's, yeah. I'm not hating, I, but I would love to see. Uh, go on. If, go on. I, I, if Kaya Simon can show the same sort of attacking weaponry that she showed in her season with Melbourne City alongside Emily Benningham, which she translated really, really well into Matilda's during qualifiers, 100%. She needs to be in. But based on what I've seen over the course of just these friendlies, I'm I'm not super convinced, but I'm more than happy to be proven wrong. Yeah. I think maybe I'm just thinking of times that I've seen her play a lot worse than what she played against Sweden. So, I don't, you know, it's sort of, she's a funny one. She, you never know quite what you're going to get. But once she hits a, a run of form, she stays there for a little while. Um, but, yeah, so, I, but, like, emotionally would prefer Chloe Legazzo than Kaya Simon, I think. Um, I just prefer her as a midfielder and prefer her type of play and the sort of player she is. But um, in terms of the information available to my tiny brain kaya simon more likely uh, anyway are we not and none of us agree can we note that it should be illegal for sam to slander chloe legazzo on this the week that is an anniversary of the miracle of montpellier <laughs> who's slandering who's slandering i am a big fan of the of the of the hard runner harrow i'm i know that you are the number one chloe legazzo fan in this group but I like I adore her her performance against Brazil in that game was unbelievable it, it won that game for Australia and that was really important for us to kick on in the tournament and but like I, I and she's like she's a gal from my 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 roots like she comes from Western Sydney I just like I love her I love that she was a late bloomer I love that she's different I love so much about Chloe Legazzo but 
I am assessing this from a very boring, very objective journalist lens, and I have to look at the at the performances that we're being presented with, you know. And she just hasn't had any of that. So I don't know how, if you're Tony Gustafsson and you're pl- you're selecting 18 players, I don't know how you can justify taking someone who hasn't played a single international minute since March of last year. It's super exciting that we can actually argue about this. And then there's like, well, I think I said this last part. I think I'm gushing. But anyway, it's just, yeah, like Anna said, like new people coming in with like new things to bring to the table and actually having difficult decisions to make because we've got that many mm. players to make difficult decisions about. That's so cool. That's so good. Um, also, just a quick question. Um, where was Chips? Where'd she, where'd she go? Like, well, Tony Chips and she- Amy Harrison both didn't get on the field. Um, I don't know if they had any injury issues or if it was just a form thing. Um, I don't know if that, based on your um, approach, Sam, has struck them out of contention or if training form can get them in. It's it's interesting. Um, Because I thought Amy Harrison, at the very least, might be one to get a run just because of her versatility and given she played a lot of minutes at, um, at PSV. But, yeah... Are we excited to see what happens with Kyla Garza? Hopefully, because if she starts making a, a run in terms of uh, form with the NWSL, I still think there's a chance they might take her. And that that's a different sort of objective lens, Sam. I wanted to go, and that's not objective. But in terms of why she may go, I think objectively she is the best runner in this team. She is one of the most versatile players. And that's, that's why I think there is a chance she still may go. It's not, it's not, it's far from 100%, but just when it comes to taking gambles, I just think she's one of the ones that they might think they can gamble with. But as Angel said, isn't it exciting that we're in a position where we can go, no, this player should go, this player shouldn't go. Like genuine competition for spots. And I really don't envy Tony and Mel because Tony said the other day, it may, I think it's to the end of the month they've got to announce this roster. And I think they are going to take every single day of this month. Like these players like Chloe Legazzo or those that are playing in Scandinavia, I think they will take absolutely every minute to look at a mole before they can strike them out. And I think that's the, that's the exciting thing. Right now, players like Legazzo, Chidiak, Harrison all look behind the eight ball. I mean, who knows? Kai Simon, who knows what's going to happen? I think that's... That's super exciting. All right. So we've worked our way up the pitch to the strikers. So we had a question from Twitter user Rarely Right. He, in his defence, he asked this before the Sweden game, but it's still, we will answer it. Um, so he asked, is there any chance Ford has lost her place in the squad for the Olympics to Fowler? She didn't play against Sweden, but has, has she, her? Nah. I, she's definitely not lost her place in this squad um at really right I, I think it's pretty simple she's clearly in our best two forwards probably second after Sam Kerr not sure why she didn't play against Sweden um may have been a loading thing may have been testing out other players but Caitlin Ford is still well and truly one of our best two forwards she's coming off a sensational club year she can play anywhere across the front three um she's creative she can run at players she can score goals from just about everywhere she is one of our A-grade talent players, along with, um, I'd say, Sam Kerr and Ellie Carpenter, our three probably best players. No chance she's missing out. Mary Fowler may well make this squad, and I think there's a really good chance she does, and I'd, I'd like to see it because I thought she provided 
something really exciting. In these two games, I think she really kicked on um, with their appearances off the bench and playing up forward where it's strong, where she's a lot stronger. And obviously that's her natural position rather than when she played roles in midfield. I think she's a really good chance to go to the Olympics, but it will definitely not be at the expense of Caitlin Ford, who would be in my probably first three names written down on a team sheet, the other two being Sam Kerr and Ellie Carpenter. So, uh, no, Caitlin Ford will not miss out for Mary Fowler in this squad. And it's also like not an either or sort of question, I don't think. Like you can take both. I think both yeah. of them offer something different. Um, that and both of them can perhaps even complement each other. You know, we've seen the way that Sam Kerr and Kate Ford can combine really beautifully, but sometimes that doesn't work out. And actually, over the course of all four friendlies, Kerr has seemed a little bit more unpredictable, a little bit more dangerous when she's playing in wider positions and bringing another centre forward into that area. Like when Emily Gilnick came in against Germany, all of a sudden she scored two goals when after Sammy went off. So, you know, I think there's there's plenty more um, sort of options and much more flexibility around the kinds of attackers that Tony has at his disposal. Um, I, yeah, I totally agree, Harry. Ford is just too good to not go. She has proved, I think, enough at club level and probably also in training that even though we didn't see as fans her get much game time across these friendlies, Tony probably saw everything that needed to. Um, but these, this was the opportunity for Fowler to really make her case to go. And I think she did that. I think she showed that she can be a little bit more versatile perhaps than what people expected. I wasn't too massively disappointed when she had those little stints in midfield. I thought she showed some, some really like good potential there, some great touches, really powerful um, sort of forward running momentum as well. Um, yeah. And I, like, I think that you need to also bring her because like Kara Cooney Cross, she is the, basically the future of the Matildas and you need to get her blooded early. You need to get her in and around these players and in this environment and around the coaching staff as soon as you can because she is a once-in-a-generation talent and it'll be a real waste if we we don't embrace that. And Sam, wasn't that one of the most exciting things about these four friendlies, seeing some of these like fresh or fresher faces come into the fold? We totally. talked heaps about Kyra Cooney-Cross. You made some awesome points about Tegan Micah. Mary Fowler has shown a bit. Courtney Nevin, Betty Goad, like just to name a few that have really impressed and it's exciting. It shakes things up a bit. It keeps things unpredictable. It builds squad depth, which is one thing we really wanted to see. Um, and I hope that continues on to the Olympics 18 because, well, I think we might disagree on some of the players that we think should or shouldn't go. I think everyone on this pod, I have to check that, thinks that we should take some fresh faces in there. And Kyra Cooney-Cross, Tegan Micah and Mary Fowler seem to be the three that, in particular, really stand out. And, yeah, it's it's certainly been the real highlight of these four friendlies for mine. Yes. So that is the Sweden game wrapped. Um, as we said, we saw a couple of players come off uh, late in the game, but we think it's all precautionary. We haven't heard anything otherwise. So it's going to be really interesting to see just over this next kind of month how the players progress, how they're kind of going along and, along and stuff. But hopefully we have, you know, a full fit complement of players to pick from. So once that squad is dropped, obviously, we will be chatting about it and you can listen to it. So that'll be great fun for all of you. Uh, just quick bit of news during the week. We had Alex Hun sign for Fortuna Curing over in Denmark. So she'll join Indy Riley and Claire Wheel over there. 
there's a very long-standing tradition of Aussies going over to that club, so it's nice to see that that has continued. We also have a little how good. So, Angela, did you want to share that one? Yeah. Well, in terms of numbers, we've got the big numbers this week. So, as we've talked about on this pod before, um, Rebecca Stop or Stoddy, as we all know her, as um, has been um, raising money um, for the Leukemia Foundation. So, backstory: she was diagnosed with blood cancer. Shit. Um, and if you want to read more about it as well, highly recommend checking out her blog, Beat It by Stoddy. She's going. Um, basically documenting the highs and the lows there and yeah it's um I don't know it's uh, I don't know how to describe it but yeah definitely recommend checking that out anyway she's absolutely smashed her fundraising um amount so she set a goal of 25,000 and she's currently on $36,543.20 and if you check out the fundraising page there's lots of um familiar names from the football community there um lots of clubs who've donated amounts as well so from a league and w league which is fantastic to see i was just having a scroll then and it was real cute um one of the familiar names for me was the one man merch machine he donated um a a couple or or quite a few dollar dues so that was really lovely to see um and yeah as marissa said did i want to out him as a big old softie on the pod yes of course so how good just in general to study absolutely smashing it and um, I guess like a subheading under that, the one-man merch machine and a big old softie. It's a recurring theme in these houses, but yeah. It's so, so good. But anyway, that's us done for this episode. Remember, you can find us on espn.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Google, Apple. You can like our stuff. You can review it if that so tickles your fancy. But um, you can talk to us on social media at the Fart Post Pod. And uh, until next time, see us.